Welcome back to CPP Chat, a sometimes weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we get to this week's guest, there's that small matter of a disclaimer. John? Thank you, Phil. Ideas and information contained throughout this website are for information and general education purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice. All the information herein is not intended to be a substitute for careful medical evaluation and treatment by a competent and licensed healthcare professional. You should not change any of your current treatment plans, medications, or, or specialty care, nor add any new therapies without personally consulting a fully qualified and licensed healthcare professional. So, speaking of medical advice, our, our guest is Ivan Chukit, who literally wrote the book on functional programming in C++. He's here to tell us that if you don't follow the guidelines in the book, your code will be dysfunctional. Ivan, am I correct that you wrote this book while studying for your PhD at the University of Belgrade? So I would say that technically it is correct, but uh, the book and the project that I worked on, uh, uh, side projects, let, let's call them like that, were uh, an excuse not to work on my PhD. <laughs> In essence, the book has, is meant not to be academic or anything else, unlike the dissertation. Ah, the dissertation, which uh, I think we can put a link to that in the show notes, but I can't say... Uh, the title, because it has the M word in it, and um, the uh, CPP chat standard and practices refer, it refuses to allow me to say the M word. So uh, I can't say the name of the title. <laughs> Just say yeah. burrito. I think we said the M word once, but uh, we, we got away with it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of CPP chat, are we like episode 50-something? Uh, I think 54, actually. Yeah, yes. so we're only like uh, 150 episodes behind uh, Rob and Jason, right? <laughs> yeah, if we can, if we can keep up weekly, then uh, yeah, if we, can we keep will keep up weekly. Up. We'll only fall back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that, that does highlight the fact that actually we have not been doing the show for a few weeks, which is entirely my fault due to my uh, travel commitment. So sorry about that, but we are back oh, on schedule now, I think. You think it's entirely your fault because uh, because you didn't realize that I wouldn't have been available even if you had been. So <laughs> <laughs> I could have done it on my own. But what it means is that we've got a bunch of announcements to catch up on, right? Oh yeah. Uh, do you want to go through some of the conference stuff? Uh, well, the first one is uh, is about C plus plus now, so maybe your best position to talk about that. Oh well, I, I was thinking about ACCU announced that their videos are online. Okay. Um, and I, I know Herb has a has one. I, I haven't watched the video, but he came to Denver to the local user group as part of kind of drumming up support for CPPCon locally, uh, and gave this talk at the local user group. Or I, I assume it's the same talk. Um, he kind of intimated that he was working on it for ACCU, uh, but it is about static exceptions, which I've said on this podcast a few times that I'm so in love with this feature that I'm not going to drill into it, but you should watch that video. Um, and then the other stuff that ACCU always have interesting talks. Um, but yeah, C++ now, I don't know that we have a whole lot of talks for people who aren't, I mean, announcements for people who aren't attending because I'm literally getting on a plane in two days and heading off to, uh, to Aspen. Um, there are still so, some spaces on there. Yes. There's about five. I mean, we're close to selling out, but we're not quite there. And I, I'm surprised, but we had a new registration yesterday and a new registration the day before that. So I always think in the last week before a conference, you're not going to get any registrations, but I've always been proven wrong about that. 
I was thinking it's too late for people to make the travel arrangements. They're not going to register. And then I turn around and then, oh, some new registration. Um, so we also have the uh, core C++ in Tel Aviv. I don't know. I know they got a new registration recently because I reached out to someone. Someone had just announced a C++ library that they were working on. And I noticed they were from Tel Aviv or not. I don't know where they were from, Israel. And and so I reached out to them. I said, are, are you going to core C++? And they said, well, not really involved locally. Maybe I should be. It's like, yeah, you should be. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I actually introduced them uh, to three of the organizers by email. And, and I think I think he's going to go. And I think they're talking to him about doing a local a local user group talk. I, obviously, they're already set up for that. But they... Uh, they told me that they hadn't selected their lightning talks yet, so he may even do an out lightning talk. Anyway, uh, and then uh, and then the Italian conference. I don't know if that we have an update on that. Uh, Andre is that's, that's exciting by itself. Um, speaking about Andre announcements, we have five announcements from CPPCon in the last two weeks. Uh, I would say two of them are only important and three of them are major. Um, so, and one of them is an Andre announcement. Um, so the first one is registration is open, uh, and, uh, you know, you can go and get registered now. And of course, uh, you can also book your hotel room. Uh, the next one is the call for submissions that is until May 20th. So you've got about three more weeks to get your submissions in. Um, uh, and then the other one, the specifically the Andre one is, that we are repeating the uh, present the speaker presentation workshop from last year. It is a one day workshop. It is on Sunday, right before the conference. If you're thinking you might speak at the conference, really recommend it. Highly recommended. Um, yeah, you did it last year. I, I did, yes. Um, and and we're even thinking you might do it again. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Oh, terrific! That that's a huge endorsement that you would take the class twice. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but. Uh, we did lower the uh, the number of speakers or the number of uh, participants this year. Not a lot lower, but a little bit lower than last year. Uh, so if you are interested, don't don't delay. Um, we also announced the field trip. So for South Park fans, you know what Casa Bonita is. This is this very famous Mexican restaurant in Denver. Everybody assures me the food is terrible, but the but the experience is wonderful. So you have to go to enjoy the cliff divers and all the shows and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then the last one, and this one just went up today, and that is the call for volunteers. And we do have a volunteer grant program. Uh, it's very limited. There are not many spots. But if you're interested in coming to CPPCon and you absolutely cannot afford it, this is how you do it. You apply to be a volunteer, and um, uh, and we can we can help with your costs. Anyway, so those are the five announcements. So go to cppcon.org. And read everything that's been posted in the last two weeks, and there's a lot. <laughs> Since we're uh, going through in roughly chronological order, before we carry on, I, I realised we've, we've missed an important Uh-oh. conference announcement. Yeah. So on the same day is the Italian C++ conference. Uh, not oh. deliberately, but uh, yes. To, just to turn out the way is uh, another brand new conference, uh, CPPP, the, uh, the the one in Paris. It's going to be another one day conference. So that again is also on uh, June fifteenth. So if you're in uh, in France or uh, can get to France on that day and you don't want to go to the Italian one, then there's one in Paris. Um, an amazing thing because it's like a one-day one, but still three tracks. That's right, yeah. 
Yeah. And and each track has a has a theme. Yeah. I think I think they're they're thinking of this as kind of a teaser. They want people to to go and they wanted to expose a lot of speakers because I think the plan is to expand it in the future. Um so if you if you're thinking of an excuse to go to Paris <laughs> or you're in the area, uh, it is not all going to be in French. I think maybe some of it – I think one of the tracks is in – the beginner mm-hmm. track is in French. Yeah. Um, and then the other tracks are in English, um, which which is a very interesting idea. So they're, they've given it a lot of thought. And uh, one thing I know they won't do is they won't call it a con. Um, French speakers – when I announced CPPCon, the, the French speaker said, "Oh no, you're not going to call it that, are you?" Because <laughs> I guess if you speak French, you don't, you don't, you're not excited when you hear CPPCon. <laughs> don't speak French, so I don't know what the problem is. But. So uh, uh, Joel and uh, Fred were on the recent uh, CPP cast, so I encourage you to check that out for, for more information. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, didn't mean to skip that. Okay, then what's next? And then again, chronologically, uh, we also missed, uh, skipped over NDC Tech Town, okay. which is a well, it, it was a smaller conference. It's actually getting bigger. Uh, that's in um, just outside Norway. Uh, sorry, just outside Oslo in Norway. Uh-huh. Uh, it's run by the same team that do NDC Oslo, but it's it's more about um, difficult to pin down, but it's de- definitely more oriented around systems programming, uh, low level, uh, uh, low latency, mm-hmm. uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, so mm. there's a lot of C++ and C, although it's not specific to, to C and C++. So definitely recommended to, to check out for people that listen to this podcast. Uh, I shall be there um, doing a, a talk and a, and a workshop. Uh, and that's at the beginning of September. I don't recall the exact dates off the top of my head. Okay. And then, ah, the next one, I guess, would be C++ Russia. And it, it seems like we just had one of those. So explain this one to me. There are two C++ rushes now. <laughs> one during the autumn and one during the spring. Uh, in essence, uh, if you know the Korhard uh, conference in Minsk, uh, in Belarus, they used to have the spring and autumn. They're now switching to once a year, and C++ Russia had once a year, and they're now switching to spring and autumn for some reason. Uh, I know, I'm not sure that I can share who... Uh, who is the planned keynote speaker? I, I don't know whether it's confirmed, but some don't don't spoil it for really nice big names. That's yeah. even better. Just say oh, big names. Of <laughs> course, you know I've seen the names of people in Russia, and some of them are pretty big names. So, uh. <laughs> so you guys were both at the spring one, correct? That's right. Just two weeks ago, yeah. that was in Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. And the and the fall one then is going to be in St. Petersburg. That's correct. Yeah. So that might be part of it because I, I think I think Sergey was was alternating, right? He was doing one year it would be one and one year it'd be the other, um, and maybe he yeah, wants to. It, it, it was the practice, yeah. Maybe that's part of the the thinking is he wants to get a little bit more continuity where you do it the same same place every year, and so the best way to do that is to do two of them. Uh, so I heard some great comments, Timor. Dalmer tweeted that it was the best organized conference he'd ever been to. And Timor is himself a conference organizer. Um, he helps me with the conferences I run in Colorado. And he's also on the, the uh, program committee for ACCU. So I and several people from ACCU jumped all over him when he tweeted this and said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but then Anastasia, who's also... 
on the program committee for ACCU, uh, she explained, and then he followed up with more explanation. But I guess they have they're working with a company that that does conference stuff, right? Yeah. So this isn't terribly C plus related, but I'm very into conferences. So, um, so I guess they just did a great job. A lot of attention to detail, I think, was the the real secret. Yeah. But I've definitely got a few ideas from it as well. Okay. C plus plus and C. All right. So we'll take it. We'll take it as a as a positive thing. Your conference will be better for it, and my conferences will be better for it. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's everyone's it's a winner. Yeah, everyone's a winner. Yeah. Um, and then I guess chronologically last is meeting C plus plus. That's right. And and they uh, a couple of announcements there. They posted keynotes and the call for submission. That's right. I've already submitted my talk. So don't. Oh, really? Already? No point in hanging about. Sweet. Yeah, no point in hanging about. Have you submitted to CPPCon? I'm just asking because I, I have. Headlines. No point in hanging about. <laughs> um, I should share with you my idea for a CPPCon submission. I'm not sure I can get it through the program committee. We'll have to. Uh, I'll have to think about how to write up the abstract to make it as compelling as possible, because it's a really 1990s kind of talk. <laughs> All right. So what else is going on that's not conference-related? Release of ReSharper? That's right. So putting my JetBrains hat on. Yeah, we had a release of ReSharper C++, the first one for 2019. So 2019.1, according to our versioning scheme. And it's uh, packed full of stuff. A lot of it just seems like minor things, but there's some some quite big things as well. Visual Studio 2019 support is is going to be critical for some people. But if you use um, uh, Unreal Engine... There's, uh, there's a lot of improvements for that, really being um, so doubling down on, on making the support as smooth as possible for people that use that. Um, we've, we're getting, we're getting a lot of feedback about that, so that's good. Um, and then just sort of you know, general progression on things like C++ 17 and C++ 20 compliance, more flexible clang tide integration, and um, some improvements on the, the unit testing integration with, uh, with Catch, which is great, of course, and Google Test, uh, but also Doc Test. If you don't know DocTest, it's very similar to Catch. In fact, it takes a lot of inspiration from Catch. But its um, its main uh, differentiator is it's really been heavily optimized for particularly build times, um, but also uh, runtime performance. So if you have found that uh, Catch um, is, is a bit slow for you currently, well, we're working on that. But in the meantime, check out DocTest because you might find that that's, uh, that's a good uh, substitute for you. And that's now that's now supported. Test, test performance is, is so important to the quality of your code because if your tests are slow, you don't run them, and if you don't run them, right. Uh, although whether that's too slow for you is you know depends on a lot of factors. So and I've yeah. Yeah. I've worked on projects that are you know million lines of code, projects with uh, thousands of tests, and you know they, they compile in seconds, and the whole project takes over an hour to build. So that's never been a problem for me, but some people do <laughs> do have an issue. So, so it's, it's good to have you the alternative. We should take a, a step back and talk about ReSharper. That's hmm. that's uh, specifically designed to be a plugin for Visual Studio. Is that how that works? That's that's exactly right. Yeah. So ReSharper, yeah. the original ReSharper, is a .NET um, productivity tool for Visual Studio, uh-huh. which gives you you know the code completion or uh, extra power to code completion and, and syntax highlighting, but also code navigation and refactoring support, code generation, and additional integration within the test runners, as we mentioned, and, and other things, static analysis. 
So really sharp C++ is just a natural progression into the C++ world of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I say just, but obviously <laughs> when you, the difference between C sharp and C++ in toolability <laughs> is, uh, is quite big. So it has been a challenge. And I know when I first tried the very first version of really sharp C++ before I joined JetBrains, it was um, a bit rough around the edges and the performance wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's improved a lot, of course, in the intervening mm-hmm. years. And I think for, for many projects, it's, it's absolutely fine now. But, uh, you know, sometimes a larger project can still suffer a bit for performance, simply because it's, it's doing a, a really complex thing in because of the, the limitations of Visual Studio. It's still a 32-bit process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there can be challenges. But considering that, it's doing a really good job, I think. It's good to see it still being um, uh, well looked after, I think. Okay. Um, so we've got some articles to talk about. I just yesterday published, actually, it was late last night, so probably should say just today, published uh, top 10 reasons to send your developers to CppCon or any C++ conference. It's basically the kind of thing you want to put before management and and say, hey, here's why you should send me to the conference. It's not just because I want to go, which if you want to keep your employees happy, maybe just because I want to go is a good enough reason. But there are actually some, uh, you know, a business case you can make to sending people to conferences. So this is uh, this is what that's an attempt to capture. Uh, I'm going to be writing a blog post soon. The, the top eleven reasons to send your developers to C plus <laughs> plus on C or any C plus <laughs> plus conference. <laughs> excellent, 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 excellent. Uh, I love this. Uh, we're going to have a lot of <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> reasons um so uh i also found i was looking at um yvonne's book there's actually someone did a 20-minute talk on the book as a review of the book because and i guess the deal was uh was it bjarne somebody donated books with the proviso that if you if you borrow the book you had to give a talk based on it uh or if you took the book something like that so um and so that's what he was paying off on that. I thought that was interesting. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and we also wanted to highlight uh, Arthur O'Dwyer's um, What is ADL? Uh, he's uh, <laughs> a lot of metaprogrammers are not big fans of ADL, but it solves this uh, interesting problem. And I've had people say, well, there's a better way to solve that problem. But it's like, well, too late that's in the language and the problem is if you're into metaprogramming then adl kind of puts a back door into possibilities that you don't always like you could say we're adult with adl no no uh, uh, <laughs> if you want to know why we're adult with adl a good place to start would be arthur's uh arthur's article on that um and then the other thing i guess is not really an article but it's uh but there is a developer survey and we'll put a link to that in the uh in the notes the uh, the standards people plus foundation does this survey every year where they ask uh, developers a lot of different kinds of questions because you know if you're going to try to make the world better one way to do it is to start measuring where you're at and, and what people's concerns are and things like that so they're asking as many professional programmers as willing to do it and I don't think it takes too long to go ahead and walk through the the survey um, I haven't actually taken it because I just feel like my answers would not be very 
I don't really represent the typical C++ user. So I, so I, I, I think I would probably do more harm than good by taking, <laughs> taking the survey. But it would be kind of, I guess I, I should do it just to learn what kinds of questions they're asking. Have either of you taken the survey? I did. What did you, what did you think of the survey? How long did it take? Uh, it, it's very short. And obviously, I guess they don't expect people like us to come to fill the survey. But it, it was nice. Okay. I didn't have, I have no complaints about the survey itself. Yeah, yeah, good, good. good. Yeah, I think the thing is they know, they know where we're coming. They're, you know, they're us. They know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, it's, but there's thousands and thousands of people who are using C++ who aren't necessarily going to standards committee meetings or conferences or, or running podcasts. And so that's who they're trying to figure out is what's the real world like. And so that's what they're trying to, uh, trying to capture. All right. Uh, one thing that I would like to add, uh, I, uh, I added it to the notes a little bit too late. Uh, there is a new release of Qt Creator, ah. which is an ID for C++ that everybody thinks is just for Qt. Uh, and they added some really nice things like LSP, uh, Language Server Protocol support, and uh, some static analyzer support and stuff. So it's a minor release. It's not as fancy as ReSharper 19.1, but, uh, but it, it's a nice ID for people that like IDs. And uh, is that a cross-platform? I think it is. Yeah, it? yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah because uh, Qt supports a lot of platforms because they support a lot of embedded things and stuff like that. So they support platforms that are... Yeah, they, they both support, uh, let's say, building for different platforms, and the IDE runs on different platforms as well. This is a challenge. I don't know if, how, how you've dealt or if you face this at all, Phil, but I, I, I have great difficulty getting people to come to CPPCon and talk about Qt. It's just there are millions of Qt users, or maybe millions is somewhat of an overstatement. I don't know. But certainly thousands and thousands of Qt users. There, there's a very large and successful conference devoted to Qt, and no one's coming to a C++ user to talk about Qt, which is a language that is in C++, I mean, which is implemented in C++. Anyone using Qt is using C++. Um, and I'm totally surprised by this. I thought that it would be hard to get into the gaming community or hard to get into the finance community. And those were kind of hard, but not nearly as hard as the cute community. That is a really tough nut to crack. And I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I don't have specific knowledge, but I suspect at least some of it may be to do with the fact that cute, uh, at least has a perception of being sort of stuck in uh, cl the classic C++ idioms. And mm -hmm. so uh, the, the cute community is seen as being more oriented around not, not so much modern C++. Um, obviously, that's not entirely true, but there's, I think there's enough truth of it in that and enough of a perception of it that people see this sort of split in the community between, you know, there's the Qt developers and the C++ developers and they're different different communities. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if we can actually show that there is a big overlap and that you can actually belong to both communities if you do consider them separate, then I think that can be can only be a good thing. And I think uh, what um, Copper Spice are doing in that space is, is really good because they are, well, they, they forked cute and then mm -hmm. updated it to modern c++ shall we mm -hmm. say uh, quite mm -hmm. successfully uh, to to show that you can actually have you know uh, both worlds together but i don't think that's really fed back to the community so much but 
I'm not well, familiar enough to, to really uh, to say that authoritatively. That's one of the things that Barbara and Ansel, the, the, the Copper Spice team, uh, in talking to them, they said they don't really expect Copper Spice to really be uh, – it's, it's going to attract cute people. What they wanted to attract was people who wanted to use modern C++ and wanted to write cross-platform GUI stuff in that. And they, so they really expected it to attract from people who were not cute people. Um, I mean, it's the, the, the framework and stuff is very cutish, but they have rewritten a lot of the libraries and stuff like that to make it, um, to make it modern to, to, so that you don't need to have some of the, uh, cute tool dependencies, and, but you can still do the same things that you could do in cute. You can do now in modern C++. So, um, a very interesting product. Yeah. Um, so we should finally talk about, um, <laughs> can't really see that it's just a big blue book right you can't say that on the podcast <laughs> um functional programming in c++ uh, how to improve your c++ programs using functional techniques so what's the reaction to the book are people saying oh wait this is functional this is not c++ is all about object-oriented programming so we're not interested what what response have you got so the people who, who didn't read the book when they see the title, a lot of them react, well, ah, that's academic. We don't need functional programming in C++. People yeah. who read the book say that it's a, well, I'm not going to toot my own horn, you know. <laughs> uh, but you can ask, for example, Vittorio on, on his opinion of my book. <laughs> yeah. Um, Vittorio Romeo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so it's not an ivory tower book. It's actually to help me write better code by understanding some of the advantages of thinking in a functional way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That and obviously for people who haven't read all the high-end C++ books like Alexandrescu, Herbs, etc. Uh, it also teaches some high-level C++ stuff for everyday use even if you don't if you even if you don't care about purity functional programming or anything in that uh, in that uh, area so i i really tried to write a book that is primarily a book that teaches serious c++ through functional programming concepts really so uh so people reading this are going to learn are going to have a a, a better insight into what c++ is about i would say so especially for cute people that live in object-oriented world <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I had a coworker who he got hired at a company where they used. Oh, of course, I'm blanking on it. There's a particular language that's that's based on on the Java runtime that is a functional language. Scala. Scala, yeah. And what I told him was, I said, I don't know how this is going to work out for you. I don't know how long to stay there. But I said, if you ever come back to C++ after having written a functional language, I said, you will be a better C++ programmer for that yeah. experience. Um, I see two really important places for functional programming. One is if you're doing any template stuff, because templates are compile time con uh, are constructs and are not modifiable. You, you, you want to change a template. What you do is you make a new template with, you know, which yeah. some kind of transform on the existing template, which is a very functional way of doing things. We, we don't change stuff. Instead, we take what's there and we write code that modifies what's there and create a new thing. 
Um, and that's exactly what the compiler does. You never actually define here's, you know, here's this templated type and then you modify that type. No, you don't do that. You make Definitely. a new type with whatever characteristic you want based on that type. The other place where functional programming is valuable to C++ is anyone who's trying to do threading because, again, uh, functional programming is about minimizing side effects and thinking in terms of we're doing this calculation and we're going to return we're going to return a value without side effects. And when you can reduce side effects, you make your multi-threading. It's just easier, right? Um, so for me, those are, the, let's say, uh, the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. In essence, uh, since I started uh, learning C++ a little bit more seriously than what I was initially taught in high school, uh, C++ is meant to be a language You that... were taught C++ in high school? Yeah. <laughs> we need to start shipping all our kids to Belgrade, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should. We, we have a great education, and that's kind of it. Nothing else. Uh, so uh, I was always taught that C++ is a great language for building abstractions that are zero cost, etc., etc. And for me, functional programming is all about building abstractions. So purity mm-hmm. is obviously one, one of the aspects. Template, templates as a pure language is another aspect. But you have so many ideas coming from functional programming languages like, for example, std-optional, std-variant, etc., that can make, uh, that are abstractions that allow your programs to be much, much safer than if you just use normal object-oriented styles. So, for, for me, uh, I usually skip the talk about multi-threading and the purity and how it helps, because everybody kind of gets their claws into that first. Right. For me, there is a plethora of different things that are really beneficial when, for example, you code it in Scala or in Haskell and then switch back to C++. You then start noticing why new features are being added to C++. A lot of people, when you first talk to them and mention STD optional, they say, well, who cares? I can have a Boolean value with that says true if I have a value false otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then you showed them the problems that they can um, solve if they just use a higher level abstraction. And that's the reason why I, I decided to write the book in the first place. Uh, just to show the people that abstractions can really be used to simplify, uh, make your code safer and easier to write and reason about. Right. Okay. Um, I, I think this is one of the things that it's, you don't you don't appreciate it until you try to do some of these kinds of things. In other words, you can naively you're not going to do something in a, in a functional programming way, and you're not going to realize the the trade offs you get unless you have that functional programming outlook. Because you know my thinking about the goal goal of software engineering is you want to be able to reason about code. That's what you want. And what what does that mean, reason about code? Basically, the bottom line is you want to be able to think, you want to be able to validly make an exception that, well, the code will never do this, so I can do that. In other words, you want disciplines, but you don't want to arbitrary disciplines. Um, You want the kind of disciplines that allow you to be able to say, okay, I want to use the code in this way. I want to take this code and just make it part of some other expression. And, And we don't, 
we don't get that naively. We have, well, I mean, obviously somebody has to figure it out the first time, right? <laughs> but, but with that background of these are the disciplines that you follow. And if you do follow these disciplines, which aren't terribly hard to do, there, there are, there's disciplines, right? You, there's some things you don't do. You don't do it that way. You do it this way. Um, but if you follow that, then you find out that you can compose code. You can build on code. You can, you can treat code as just part of an expression. So you can make it a much larger expression. And, um, and, and as I say, you can reason about it. You can, you can say, I can use this in this way because I know the code doesn't have this terrible, awful side effect, which would prevent that from happening. And it's not an accident that it doesn't mm -hmm. because we sat down and said, look, here's a few guidelines. This is what you know, we call it functional programming. But um, if we follow these disciplines, if we follow these guidelines, then our code is, is more um, composable. It's easier to refactor. It's easier to do things like, oh, this is doing something. If this is true, I want to have it do it if it's not true. And, and those kinds of things get much easier to uh, to compose those kinds of things. Yeah. Is that what? Right. So your your book is going to help you learn what those kinds of restrictions are, but not in a pure theoretical sense, but instead the this is how we do software engineering in C++ kind of sense. Yeah, of course. Let's say best practices of modern C++. Yeah. So uh, what's the response been to the book? Or is it what you expected? So, um, Has it made you millions of dollars? That's the most important. <laughs> well, obviously not. <laughs> um, maybe it, it maybe it would have if I did self publishing like uh, Jonathan did. Or uh, this way, obviously, I get I get a percentage. Uh, so I I don't often check the figures. I just like when people approach me at a conference to sign the book and then they tell me what they liked, what they didn't like, etc. So I don't really care about the the amount of the book sold. Mm -hmm. I just care about the reactions of the people that actually want to learn C++ better than they used to know it uh, before. Okay. Does it help you get accepted as a speaker at conferences? <laughs> you you um, were at Simple Russia. How many conferences do you do? I mean, are you how much? I, I assume there's a limited schedule for someone who's a even for so, academics, you don't go to all the conferences you'd like to go to, right? Uh, I was at, in this year, I was at C++ Siberia, ACCU, C++ Russia, and in May I'm going to two more conferences. So it's a little bit too much. I, the worst part is that I decided to take a break this year mm -hmm. and decided, okay, I'm not going to any of the conferences apart from maybe meeting C++. Mm -hmm. Then I said, well, I have to go to C++ Rush, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> other mails started arriving. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then I realized, okay, no rest for the weekend. <laughs> I can back you up on that. <laughs> yes. Speaking of rest, um, is there another book in the works? No, I have no desire to write another book at, at this point. Yeah. It's a huge job. Oh, yeah. And obviously, I really love that I have a book written, uh -huh. but I don't see myself write, spending that much time to write another one anytime soon. So you're a faculty member now, is that correct? Yeah. Are you teaching this in a class? I mean, do you have a class where you're teaching C++? 
Yep. So I have a class that where I teach C++ and a class where I teach functional programming. Uh-huh. And obviously, the C++ course is, let's say, modern C++ without ranges. Mm-hmm. And functional programming course is first half is Haskell. Uh, it's obligatory. And the second <laughs> part is functional programming in C++. I see. I see. Okay. Um so you really are saying that we should send all our students to, to Belgrade, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> Not to mention that uh, our university is free, although it's free for, obviously, for residents. So you need to get a uh, resident permit or whatever, and then you might get a free education. <laughs> okay. And C++. We have at least five different courses that use, uh, that use C++. There are many paths to C++. Yes, 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 yes. So in, in going to these different conferences, what, is, what are you experiencing in terms of uh, the, trends in, the trends that you're seeing? What are the audience interested? What are the speakers talking about? And what are they interested? Is there a, is there a feeling that that functional programming is an important way forward for C++, or is it like, well, that's for academics? So the first thing that I want to say is that I'm trying to move away from being just the functional programming guy at a conference. (laughs) (laughs) I already told that to Phil. Well, what other talks are you getting? So, well, you're going to laugh, but (laughs) template method programming, I'm pretending it's not functional programming, you know? (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) In C++ Russia, I was talking about the move-only types. Uh-huh. Uh, let's say uh-huh. designing software without copying and stuff. And that was the first part of the talk at Next C++ Russia. I'm going to give the second part. So it kind of has a connection to FP, but it's not as tightly bound as some other areas. As for your uh, question, I would say that people that attend conferences are usually let's say, a higher class of C++ developers. They're open to new ideas. When they hear something, a lot of the ideas that I presented in the previous years, people afterwards came to me and said, well, we applied it here, 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 and it, it was nice or it was bad or something like that. So I'd say that uh, conference people are not the best uh, gauge for for whether C++ community is ready for FP or not. Okay. The conference goers obviously are ready for anything. <laughs> well, but they also are the leading edge, right? I mean, it, it is true they don't, they're not representative of, of what's going on in C++ today. On the other hand, they may be a good hint about what's going on in C++ tomorrow. I would, I would sincerely hope so. I'm not optimist. <laughs> I'm not that optimistic, but I really hope that you're right. In many companies, the people that want to go to conferences, part of the, the deal they get with their employers is you go to this conference, make notes on all the interesting stuff, and then bring that back and tell the rest of the team. So that knowledge does actually get imparted to, to the people that don't go to the conferences that may not have been exposed to it. And of course, you know, it doesn't always stick, but sometimes it does. So, so I, think, I think we can be hopeful that at least some of it is reaching the people that don't go to, to conferences as well. Let's hope so. 
This this is making me think of uh, you know I alluded earlier that I want to I want to submit something to CPPCon that's right out of the nineties, and the the motivation for this is the fact that I'm teaching, I do training at, at companies and I talk to people about what they're really doing and I, I get it mostly from questions because a lot of times the this, the class attendees are not really at liberty to say exactly what they're working on. But I, but from the questions, you know what their concerns are and what kinds of things that they're doing. And one of the things that that I've that has been made very clear to me is that what most, at least in in the experience of the the, te- the students I have, um, what most students are working on are object oriented kind of situations. They're working in object oriented frameworks. They may be supporting very old applications, or maybe not very old, but applications that have some history and some legacy. Um, and they were trained in universities on object-oriented programming. And so there's a, that's what people are doing. But you look at a list of speakers at conferences, and you're not seeing a lot of object-oriented talks. <laughs> it's just not the trend thing. And what I'm concerned about is that those people aren't being exposed to the right way to do object-oriented programming. It, you know, we might look down on it because it's not the sophisticated and cool thing to do, but it's still hard to do. I mean, you still have to follow some disciplines to get it right. There's still plenty of ways to step wrong doing this. And Scott Myers has retired. Herb Sutter and the people who were the leaders of how to do object-oriented programming right that are still active have moved on. Herb's talking about static exceptions and things like that, which I'm not, I'm not faulting anybody. I think that the people who are at conferences talking about the cool new stuff and how you can do it without the virtual keyword, that's all wonderful and good. But what I'm worried about is that there's a lot of people who who are doing object-oriented programming and they're not seeing a lot of leadership about, well, how do we do this right? Um, you can read Scott's books. That, you know, they're books. They still exist. That's great. But we're not encouraging people to read. You know, we may talk about the new one, modern uh, you know, effective modern C++, but we're not really pointing people at these old classic books mm-hmm. because they aren't updated. They aren't modern. And, you know, some of them, generally speaking, everything that's in there is still valuable in some way, but you want to put an asterisk next to it and say, yes, that's all true, but we don't worry about it anymore because now we have this feature which handles it. Or, you know, we don't do it this way anymore. You could do it that way, but there's a better way now or whatever, you know. And someone reading the book they don't know what those asterisks should be. And so we don't really encourage people. You know, one of my favorite C++ books is Accelerated C++ by, mm-hmm. um, uh, by Koenig. Andrew Koenig. Yeah. Yeah. Koenig and and um, but it's not modern. And so people aren't, it used to be that that was the first thing. Oh, you're interested in C++. Make sure you read this book. And it's very thin. It, it doesn't go, it doesn't do a lot of depth. But it's a great way to be introduced. It, it has good, just plain good old-fashioned programming concepts about invariants and loops and things like that. Um, it's, it's just a great beginner book. But nobody's pushing that anymore because it's not modern. And, and I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I mean, I, I am in the same situation. But what I'm worried about is, as I said, people who are creating object-oriented programming, that's their code. That's what they're doing. Maybe they should be transitioning. Maybe they should be figuring out how to do things at compile time. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not saying, you know, but they're not. They're writing code, and they're not necessarily following the kind of disciplines that are going to avoid the traps that that we learned about 
back in the 90s and the 2000s. And we, we, we learned these and we studied these and we documented them. We said, this is how to avoid them. And nobody's talking about it now. Um, and of course, we don't have the YouTube videos from those conferences because, well, in the 2000s, there weren't really any, any such conferences. But, um, and even, even if you look and say, well, there was BoostCon, but of course, BoostCon wasn't talking about object-oriented programming either. They were talking about template metaprogramming and the better uses of the library. So we, it, so anyway, this is my spiel. This is my pitch. I'm practicing on you guys to give it to the, <laughs> the CPPCon program committee saying, please let me do this talk right out of the, the back to the future talk right out of the 1990s, right? <laughs> um, but is it a talk we need or a book or both? Um, well, I don't have time for a book. So, you know, you may get, you may get the object-oriented programming uh, that you're going to get rather than the one that you need. I don't know. I, I think, I think you know, that, that it makes sense. I, th- I think you're right. A modern, uh, you know, a modern approach to object-oriented programming wouldn't be a bad book to write. But I think that, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I mentioned this to my wife and her concern was, she said, John, do you really want, I'm in kind of in the same situation Yvonne is, do I really want to be associated with object-oriented programming? Do I, <laughs> do I want to be the object-oriented programming guy? It's like, you know, I have enough gray hair as it is. I don't have to be perceived that my code is st- straight out of the 90s. Uh, but I think it's, but I think it's a, uh, an issue. And I want to, um, I do want to address it. I do think there's important stuff to be said. Uh, it's not, it's not new stuff. It's just, you know, the, the new modern way of doing what we've always done. But, but, let's, but let's, make, let's take object-oriented programming seriously. And I just think to way too many conference speakers, um, either they're not doing object-oriented programming at all, or maybe they're doing it, but they don't want to talk about it because that's not the part of their, mm-hmm. their code base that's exciting and new, and that's the new research. Instead, they're maintaining, oh, here's this legacy app. It does object-oriented programming, but we have, you know, cool new ways of doing algorithms or whatever and that's what we want to talk about or maybe they have a better way of doing some kind of type safety or something like that there's there's lots of cool stuff and they're just not talking about partly because it's not anything really new and that's part of the thing is i i want to make sure people know by the way um here's this way you should do you know here's nvi well i didn't invent nvi uh it's documented in herb's book on exceptional c++ style but when I started using it, it changed my code, and I was re- I was really surprised about that. It was kind of like, well, yeah, this this is a an interesting discipline. I'll follow this discipline, and my code quality went up. My interfaces got better, and I was surprised. And and nobody, I don't think most people are doing that because it's it's purely an object oriented point of view. If you're not doing object oriented programming, most people don't even know what NVI is. That's what I want to talk about. And um, uh, anyway, I got off on my personal rant. We should be talking about your rant. <laughs> so if if I get into CPPCon program committee, I'm going to vote for your talk. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I think that precludes you from getting into the committee. No, no, I'm sending you an invite right now. Listen to, my, listen, listen to me type. Um. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that, uh, so a couple of, maybe even a year ago, uh, Andrew Koenig, uh, posted that he is trying to get the copyright uh, back from the publisher of Accelerated C++ so that he can write the, the new edition. I'm and really hoping that it will happen. 
It's not. It's not the public. I've talked. I've talked. I didn't talk to Andrew. I talked to Barbara about this. It. it the, the problem is not the publisher. The publisher is Addison Wesley, uh, and the publisher doesn't normally hold a copyright. Anyway, it's the author that holds a copyright. The problem is they wrote this while they were working for AT and T. AT and T holds the copyright. Okay. And of course, it's not that AT and T is thinking, "Oh, wow, we don't want you to publish a." a you know, a new version of this because you're going to undermine our royalties. AT&T doesn't care. But they have to find the right person at AT&T to, you know, sign the dotted line. And, of course, there's no upside for that. They're not going to get any money for mm-hmm. releasing the rights. Um, and there is the possibility that if they release the rights, then some president in the future will look at this uh, or some corporate vice president and say, why did you do this? And then, you know, so it's it, there's, <laughs> so that's why. they got to find the right lawyer who can bless this, um, I, I'm perfectly sympathetic. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I think if they didn't have that permission, nothing bad would happen. But nobody wants to put in hours and hours and hours of work, which, as you know, making a book, lots of work, um, only to find out later that it can't be published because, you know, mm-hmm. so they, want to get the, they want to get the rights first. And as I said, the problem with the rights is not that it's too expensive. It's none of this. Kind, it's not that it's politically controversial. It's just they have to find somebody at AT&T who has the authority to release yeah, the rights and company. explain to them <laughs> what they're trying to do. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm totally on board with you. An, an updated version of that would be – that, that would be great. That would be absolutely terrific. And then we need accelerated functional C++. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to start on that one. Or more functional C++ or more modern, exceptional... Ex- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, functional C++ style. Uh, there's yeah. lots, of, lots of ways we can go. We can turn this into a publishing industry. If just if people were just buying books now, <laughs> this would be great. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, what else do we want to talk about? Either the book or your new directions, the things you're doing in multi I mean, excuse me, in uh, in uh, template metaprogramming, or. So I'm not doing any anything particularly fancy. I'm working on reactive streams and all the template boilerplate that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So nothing that interesting, uh, at least not for CP chat, maybe for a conference. <laughs> we haven't really talked about reactive programming on the show before, I think. Is there something you can say just at a high level about that? Yeah, but we have only five minutes. <laughs> okay, very I wouldn't say that it's enough to for for an expose on reactive programming. See this brilliant technique he has, Phil, of getting himself invited back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to react to that. <laughs> God, it's going on bad streams. Is it? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, so, well, maybe we should uh, start to wind this up. Is there anything else you want to say about, uh, uh, about your adventures as a, uh, conference speaker? Phil or me? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Who are, we, who are you asking the questions? Yeah. <laughs> I was ask, asking Yvonne, but if you have, uh, you know, Phil, there's not many people speak at more C++ conferences than you do. So, um, 
I won't put you in the spot and say which is the best run conference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> say plus plus and say, of course. <laughs> I guess it's not a spot at all. <laughs> did they treat you well as you spoke there, Phil? Or did they make you run the conference? At uh, C++ Russia, you mean? No, I meant oh. C- you said C++ on C was the best run. That's yeah, I didn't speak there. Oh, you didn't speak there. Yeah. Oh, well, so I you're did not, the intros. So you're not speaking as a speaker. No. You don't know how good it is as a speaker. I don't know. It could oh, be awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, either one of you. you uh, I, I was I was mainly talking about Yvonne. But uh, what uh, what do you want to talk about in, in uh, that you've learned as a presenter at all these conferences? First, I would say that everybody should try to present something. Uh, the reason why I initially started going to conferences is that if you're a speaker, you don't need to pay for the ticket. And as a student from this part, part of the world, I didn't really have the money to, to buy the ticket for meeting C++ or for cute, cute con or whatever. So that was my reason to start going to uh, as a speaker to conferences. And it's a really a joyful ride. So anybody, even if you're shy or you don't know how to speak in public, try it. Nobody, nobody was born as a speaker. You will become a great speaker in two years, three years, five years or whatever. And it's a, it's a really, really nice thing to do. If you take the uh, presentation training workshop at CPPCon, <laughs> it will take less time. But no, I know exactly what you're saying. And one of the things that I learned very early on is that you, you do not understand anything as well as you think you do, and you will understand it better when you explain it to someone else. Yep. The process of explaining something to someone else is what teaches it to you. You will understand it with a depth. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't really express it well, which is probably a weakness of my ability to present. Um, but I will tell you this. There is no feeling quite as much as being asked a question that you had never thought of before. Mm-hmm. It just hadn't occurred to you. But as soon as the question is asked, because you've thought so much about the material and you really understand it, you figure out what the question is, what the answer is on the fly. I've never thought about it before, but it has to be that way, and here's why. And I have had those kinds of questions where somebody say, well, why did they do this in the library? It never occurred to you that way, but as soon as they ask it, you realize because they were trying to avoid this issue, and that's why it was done that way, or whatever. I mean, you just see the correct answer, and it's because... You have done the background. You have you have thought about how to present this well. You've you've no. I I completely agree. Of course, it's a little self serving as someone who's constantly looking for speakers to tell everyone that they should speak. <laughs> um, but but I totally agree. It's going to change your it's going to change your de- the depth of understanding you have, and it's going to completely change your experience at conferences. The fact that you're speaking at a conference. You know, it just it just changes your whole perception of the conference, and you have so much more fun, and you're so much more engaged because, um, partly because people know who you are, your name is up there. Um, people will come to your talk, and then they will want to engage with you, ask you a lot of interesting questions. They want to hear your opinion of things. You know, one one minute you're just another programmer, and suddenly you're a speaker, and now they have to hear your opinion. <laughs> yeah, 
and it can be a really, really bad advice, but it will be accepted as a wow. <laughs> <laughs> one extra one extra suggestion I would make, though, if you are yeah. considering speaking, or if you're not considering speaking, but now after hearing this, you're thinking, oh, maybe I should. I know that for some people in particular, it, it's a very daunting prospect. And, you know, not everyone is um, even very good at speaking just on a one-to-one basis. But you should think about it. And if you do, there are uh, there's a channel on the CPP Langslack, uh, Speaker's Corner, and there's also um, a similar one on the um, uh, Hash Include C++ Discord, just for speakers. If you go there and uh, you'll pitch your idea and say, I'm thinking about doing a talk on this, but, you know, I'm a bit unsure, you'll get lots of friendly advice about how to get started speaking, you know, what you should and shouldn't do to... You know, make you more comfortable and your audience more comfortable and usually you know by the end of that i've seen people go through that process starting out really unsure and at the end of it saying yes i'm going to do this and they go up and, and do a great talk so you, you can do it and you can actually get the support of the community before you even make a proposal so you're, you're feeling like you're in a better position that that, com- that confidence that comes with that is yeah it can't be undersold you you want you want to know there is this, sometimes it's called the imposter syndrome, but you, you know, very few of the things that I've ever talked about in any of my talks, some of them, it's true, but most of the things that I've talked about weren't original ideas with me. I've repackaged things that other people have said. I'm, I'm putting it together in a way that I think is an original way of presenting it, but it's not, you know, and, and when you do that, you can suddenly think, oh, wait, what if the audience knows all this? What if I've said, oh, come and hear all about how to do exception safety and everybody shows up and then, and then they're all saying, John, we knew that. We thought you had some insight. And, you know, that, that can be really intimidating. And the way you blunt that is what Phil said is you, you talk to other people and said, hey, I was thinking about doing a, a, a talk and these were the kind of the three main things I want to say. And people will say, oh, yeah, I want to hear more. I want to go to that talk. And then you know okay, maybe they've heard of this before and maybe they've seen it presented once but they really are interested in and putting it together in, 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 a, in a good way is, yeah. And then I would also say, try to do it in, in your company. Um, that may be your toughest critics. Uh, and then do it, do it to the local user group. Local user groups are always screaming for content. Um, uh, so it's not hard for most people. It depends on what your local user group is. But for most people, you can get that booked. Um, and, um, and then try it at a a small regional conference and then go for one of the big international conferences and, um, and then, and then be a star like Yvonne. (laughs) Is that the path? Yeah, I would say so. Sounds sensible to me. So should we, I think we're at our time limit. Should we tell everybody that we wish them safe coding? Yeah. Safe coding, everyone. Safe coding. All right. Safe coding. Cheers.